Welcome to Fracking and Health, Ask an Expert. The Endocrine Disruption Exchange has been studying the health impacts from unconventional oil and gas development, also known as fracking, since 2004. In each episode, our Executive Director, Carol Kwiatkowski, asks an expert to answer a question on how fracking may affect your health. You can submit a question at TEDx.org. Welcome to episode 17, where we ask, how does fracking wastewater threaten our health and the environment? I'm talking today with Dr. Isabel Cazzarelli, a research hydrologist in the U.S. Geological Survey Water Mission Area. She has researched and published extensively on the effects of unconventional oil and gas wastewater. Welcome, Dr. Cazzarelli. Thank you. Let's start with the question, what is fracking wastewater and how is it being handled? Well, the hydraulic fracturing process requires a large amount of fresh water. And that water is mixed with chemical additives and sand that's used to keep the fractures open in the rock after the fracturing process. So the chemicals are added to enhance the fracturing process and are typically mixed on site. Those chemicals can include friction reducers, biocides, corrosion inhibitors, and scale inhibitors. So there's a difference in terminology between flowback and produced water. After the fracturing process fluids return to the surface, these fluids contain added chemicals as well as constituents from the formation itself. Those can include hydrocarbons, salts, radioactive elements such as radium, and elements like arsenic and mercury. Initially, the fluids that are returned to the surface come back at a high rate. And in the industry, this early stage of fluid return is often called flowback and can last from several days to weeks. The composition of the flowback water looks a lot like the water that was injected. Produced water refers to any water coming from a hydrocarbon producing well during the lifetime of the well. Produced water is therefore a mixture of the added chemicals and constituents from the formation, and it changes composition over time. After long periods of time, it looks more and more like formation water, although chemical additives can still be detected for months to a year afterwards. It's important to note that produced water composition can vary greatly depending on the source rock. Oil and gas wastewater can include both flowback and produced water, as well as chemicals used at the well site. Those chemicals might be used to enhance production at the well and can change over time. How much of this wastewater is coming to the surface? In general, about half of the water produced during the lifetime of an oil and gas well occurs in the first six months after completion. Overall, as hydrocarbon production in the U.S. increased, the volumes of produced water have increased as well. For example, in Pennsylvania, between 2006 and 2012, produced water increased from about 6.6 million barrels to 24.4 million barrels each year. And the amount of water used for each well has been increasing over time as the industry has evolved. Just looking at a per well basis, 
the volume of produced water generated in the first year of production has increased over 500% in the last several years. And where does it go when it leaves the wellhead? So typically water produced at the wellhead first goes to a separator. The separators are periodically emptied, often into storage tanks on site. In some cases, operators still use surface impoundments to temporarily store wastewater on site before it's disposed of. Most wastewater from oil and gas production is disposed of by deep well injection. It can be transported there by truck or pipeline. In other cases, it's transported to wastewater treatment facilities before it's discharged to surface water. Oversight of the management of wastewater is the responsibility of state and local governments. There's been a lot of conversation around reuse of wastewater. Can you tell us more about this? Many drilling operators are reusing or recycling some portion of this wastewater for fracturing new wells. Reuse depends on the chemistry of the water and how logistically and economically practical it is to move it to where it can be reused. Other uses of the wastewater include road spreading for dust suppression or de-icing. In order to reuse wastewater, we need to know what's in it. There are many chemicals in wastewater that we don't currently have good measurement methods for. So this is an area where a lot of work is currently focused. In some cases, water is being treated to remove salts and it's reused in agricultural settings, especially in arid regions. In this way, wastewater is being distributed to areas that could be far away from the oil and gas development itself. Recently, oil and gas wastewater is even being looked at as a resource for elements of economic value that can be removed from the water, such as iodide. So what are the risks to the environment of this wastewater? Well, if we look at the entire life cycle of oil and gas development, the management of the wastewater is a critical piece of that cycle. Wastewaters can pose risks if they're accidentally or intentionally released into the environment, and therefore careful management is very important. Accidents can occur during truck or train transport. Pipelines transporting wastewater can break. And tanks temporarily storing wastewater on drilling sites can leak or spill. Pipelines carrying large volumes of wastewater can break. And when they do, millions of gallons of wastewater can be released in a short amount of time. At disposal facilities such as deep well injection sites, improper handling and storing of wastewater can lead to releases that could contaminate soil and surface waters. There are cases of intentional releases as well due to the economic benefits of, to the individuals of illegal dumping compared to proper controlled disposal. So through these routes, how could people be exposed to the chemicals in the wastewater? Well, exposure from chemicals in the oil and gas wastewater can be through exposure to either water, air or soil that's been affected by a wastewater release. Potential exposures to affected waters could be through drinking surface or groundwater that's been contaminated 
or from recreational use of these waters, such as fishing or swimming. Exposure to affected soils could be through direct handling of the soil or through the food chain as organisms living in the soil may accumulate some of the released constituents. It's important to understand that constituents in the wastewater petition into air, water, or soil, depending on their chemical properties. For example, radium will typically partition into the soil, so exposure to affected sediments or reuse of waters containing radium on roads and for farming could be an exposure concern. Other constituents of wastewater are volatile, such as hydrocarbons, and exposure could be through breathing air close to drilling operations on site or during transport of the wastes. This could be an exposure pathway of most concern for those whose occupations put them in frequent contact with wastewaters. So what health impacts are associated with exposure to wastewater chemicals? Well, there are potential effects to ecosystem health as well as to animal and human health. There are numerous studies on individual chemicals in oil and gas wastewater that show potential to cause reproductive, developmental, and chronic oral toxicity. Therefore, careful management and handling of the wastewater is a critical aspect of the energy life cycle. There are currently many unknowns about the potential effects of constituents found in wastewater. For most chemicals found in wastewater, we currently lack toxicity data. Studies of accidental releases and laboratory studies have shown that the salts in oil and gas wastewaters can have big impacts on ecosystems, especially to amphibians. And it can take decades or longer for environments to recover from these releases. Ammonium, for example, can be present at very high concentrations in wastewater and is lethal to fish. There are individual constituents in wastewater that are known to be endocrine disruptors in humans, but the effects of mixtures of these compounds at low levels are largely unknown. There's certainly a lot of things to be concerned about here. How do you suggest that nonprofit organizations can help? Well, one way that uh, NGOs can help is by connecting with communities to share scientific information that the communities want and need. Uh, scientists don't always have those connections and are sometimes not the best communicators. In addition, NGOs can bring these different communities together. They can bring industry, scientists from academia and elsewhere, regulators and the public together at the table to discuss current problems and strategies for addressing them. NGOs can also push for additional studies where they're needed to safeguard human health and point out where current management practices or regulations might be falling short. For example, different regulations cover the various aspects of oil and gas development and the handling of the wastewater. And understanding who's accountable for the wastewater management isn't always clear. Looking at energy development more holistically may help the conversation. I think NGOs can also help us move towards common definitions for confusing terms. They can help us all speak a common language when talking about these kinds of issues.
I appreciate your insights and thank you very much for being on our podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. It was my pleasure. TEDx is a nonprofit research institute funded by grants from private foundations and by donations from individuals like you who care about our health and the environment. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider making a tax-deductible gift to TEDx so we can continue bringing you the most up-to-date scientific information on the impacts of fracking on your health. Please visit our website at tedx.org for more information on what we do, to submit a question for an expert, or to make a donation. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.